Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. UTV is the newest production from Unpublished Media. This weekly live panel discussion completes our set of four Internet properties created to help you influence and impact public policy decision-making in Canada. They are unpublishedottawa.com, the Unpublished Cafe podcast, which I also host, and unpublished.vote. It's a voting tool, issue-based information and voting tool for you to use. Now, each week we introduce a new topic through the Unpublished Cafe podcast and Unpublished.vote, where you'll find the podcast and the background information from various sources to help you find out more about the, the issue and inform before you cast your vote and email your MP to tell them why you think what you do. Then every Monday night at 8 Eastern, right here, we'll reconvene here on UTV. And we're going to examine how the issues evolved over the last week or so. Our audience has reacted to the poll question, and we'll watch your input as well. You can send us questions on this uh, show right now uh, on Facebook Live or on YouTube. Now, answers are few and far between for school boards getting ready to welcome students back in September. The Ontario government has said it would announce more details coming up this week but at this point we still don't have anything we have 72 boards in ontario that they have to have their plan in place for august 4th these school boards are preparing those plans for three possible scenarios a full-time return to the classroom virtual classes for all or a hybrid model that combines the two this this will not be any routine return in september as Social distancing, hand washing, sanitizer, they're all going to be part of the new normal when it goes back to school. Now, working in their favor is the fact that children have been less infected by the COVID-19 pandemic compared to other age groups, and that may actually be in their favor. Many pediatric experts feel it's crucial for young people to get back to school, but doing it safely. And I ask you, how about you? Do you feel comfortable sending your kids back to school in September? That was our unpublished vote question. And 65% of our viewers said no. They don't feel comfortable about that at all. 27% said they feel fine. About 8% were unsure. So joining us tonight to talk about going back to school, Joel Westheimer is the University Research Chair in Democracy and Education at the University of Ottawa. Marit Stiles is the NDP MPP for Davenport and the opposition education critic. Liz Stewart, the vice president of the Canadian Teachers Federation. And Laura Gonzalez is the second executive vice president at the Ontario Federation of Home and School Associations. So we've got everybody covered today and tonight to talk about sending the kids back to school. But let's uh, let's start with you, Laura. First off, 65% of the people who watched or listened to the podcast and made their own judgment feel... They don't feel comfortable sending their kids back to school in September. You hearing that a lot with the association? And represents uh, parents across the province. And what we have noticed is that the response may be quite different from one area to now to another. Mm-hmm. So in areas where uh, I guess the situation is more contained, parents actually right. may feel a little bit better sending their kids to school. So we have heard actually from our members there is a difference between Prince Valley, for example, compared to Windsor. 
So it does depend on where the parents are located. Uh, but we also are hearing from uh, parents that they are concerned about the lack of socialization. So they are torn. Of course, they want their kids to be safe. They want the teachers to be safe. They want everybody to be safe. Uh, but they they also need uh, the kids uh, back to seeing their friends and being able to socialize. Although there are still many questions about what that would look like, uh, especially when you may have younger kids with limited self-control in terms of keeping distancing, uh, which might be very different from high, from high school students. And finally, the other thing that it's also uh, make them feel uh, a bit... Uh, I mean, really wanting to send the kids to school is a labor situation. So we do hear from parents that not every parent is able to stay at home and support learning from home or support hybrid models. And uh, there are differences uh, between what each parent can provide. And uh, oftentimes, the parents who need the most, the schools would be the ones that are least uh, able to support their kids learning at home. Joel, are you surprised two thirds? All these things. Okay, th- thank you, Laura. But uh, Joel, are you surprised two thirds are, are uncomfortable, totally uncomfortable about this? No, I, I'm not, Ed. I mean, there's a lot of uncertainty right now. That, right, we don't know um, exactly what it's going to look like in the fall, and the boards don't know where the you know the COVID situation is going to be. And look, from a, from a purely public health perspective, if we were going to narrow in only on COVID-19, obviously the thing to do is for everyone to stay in their room and close the door. But this has been going on for a long time, and we have to balance various um, risks. And uh, uh, the inequality that is going to be very present, no matter what approach we take, is one of the biggest problems right now. And, and boards are wrestling with that. My big concern is that when I've heard all the options about going back to school, what I haven't heard a lot of is how there are going to be different expectations of teachers and students curriculum-wise. See, I'm not overly concerned. I know everyone's talking about kids falling behind or catching up, but um, you know, falling behind who, right? The entire world is on pause right now. And uh, there's not a lot of research that shows that a, a kid missing a week or a month of school or even a year is going to have adverse effects on their you know, long-term life prospects. Um, and that, that kind of research is just when, when it's one kid, but this is the whole world is on pause. But what um, teachers are going to be facing is something that concerns me a lot because uh, they could possibly be teaching two curriculum. Teaching is an impossibly difficult job as it is, and they might be teaching both in person and online. And if there aren't the resources and the, the room to allow teachers to do that well, that's going to be a big uh, problem come the fall. So what we really need is thinking about the classroom learning from the perspective of teachers and students and not just about what works um, bureaucratically from the top. Mart, what do you think? Well, you know, I'm not really surprised at all to hear that that many people have have that, those kinds of concerns. I've been certainly sensing over the last few months um, rising anxiety from Ontario families, uh, and I'd say all across the province. Either way, I completely agree with Laura that it can depend from board to board. But you know, what I'm hearing a lot of is that people are really confused. Uh, they feel like the government uh, here in Ontario isn't placing the priority 
on return to school uh, that they should be. I'm hearing increasingly from a lot of families where uh, one of the parents is, and it tends to be women, are uh, debating whether or not they need to um, leave the workforce. And we've already seen a dip in the number of women's participation in in the workforce now down to 1980s levels. So if we see that happening, that's going to have a massive impact on our economy. So we don't want that, right? We want people to be able be supported. Um, and, and so that's one thing we've been calling for. But at the same time, there is absolutely deep concern about safety and health of our children, but also for the education workers, the adults who are working in our schools. And I hear that from, again, from, from many, many people across the province. And they're wondering why the government has yet to really uh, seem to be putting the focus and, and the clarity of communication around this issue. And of course, uh, Liz, uh, you, you and your members are there at the front of the of the classroom. And uh, how are they feeling right now? Well, I mean, um, CTF conducted a uh, national teacher survey um, in June, and um, we had overwhelming participation um, from all across Canada. So this isn't just a, an Ontario issue; this is a, a pan Canadian issue. And you know, and that came back quite clearly. You know, over eighty three percent the respondents are concerned around, you know, what return to school is going to be like and what they're going to be faced with when they walk back into classrooms. Um, and certainly, you know, on a provincial level, I, I've certainly heard it as well from, from teachers because, you know, it is around um, what that teaching and learning environment is going to be like. Um, and what resources are going to be available um, for them to be able to to make sure that students are, are receiving the very best that they can, because we know that's what teachers always want to do. Um, but understanding as well, you know, as Joel said, you know, we've also got students who will choose not to be in school and who will continue with distance learning. And how is that program going to run and who is going to to be teaching that program because, you know, I mean, I'm an elementary classroom teacher and I might be good, but I can't be in two places at once and I can't do two things at the same time. You know, I, mm-hmm. I can either deal with the students in front of me every day or I can be doing distance learning with those students who choose not to come into the school. So, you know, those are big questions that teachers have. How do I maintain that level? How do I make sure that I'm, I'm, teaching curriculum to students and we're moving things forward um, and keep them safe at the same time, right? Because that, that is a number one priority for us. And, and also I say for many teachers, for those of us in education, we understand that school is about more than just students learning. A big part of what we do every day in schools is we prepare students to learn. We, we prepare that ground for them and we, we give them the opportunities so that they can learn moving forward. That's going to take a huge portion of our time when we get back to school because we have students coming back into classrooms. We have adults coming back into classrooms with huge levels of anxieties. And we need to make sure that we're addressing, addressing those issues and addressing those mental health issues before we can even begin to think about curriculum. Now, more uh, interesting thing, you know, obviously there's going to be distancing, there's spacing, all that kind of thing. There's maybe 15, 15 students to a classroom, right? Well, classes now, you're going to need a lot more room. You're going to need a lot more teachers. You're going to need a lot more everything, you know. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things that I actually just last week feels like about a month ago, but uh, last week I introduced a motion in the legislature asking the government to, you know, to to properly consult and to meaningfully invest in education. Because one of the things that's going to happen is if we do want to try to return you know, hopefully um, this hybrid model doesn't seem to be something that, that most people think can work. But it, what we really need to get to is more smaller classes. And this coming from a government that I, I don't probably have to remind anybody, uh, actually grew class sizes over the last two years. So uh, we need more smaller classes, which means we're going to need more space. And we're also going to need more teachers and other educational workers. And that requires funding. And uh, and also, by the way, something else that they haven't really done well, which we've been pushing for, is, is a lot of what Liz is talking about, is actually listening to the people on the front line in their experience and knowledge and expertise, and what they can tell us about how to best make this kind of situation work for everyone. And they really haven't done that kind of consultation either. So, um, but yeah, I mean, you, you are looking at, at this point, the recommendation generally seems to be smaller classes, but again, most of the boards have yet to actually come through with their plans. And now we're hearing that the minister is going to make some kind of big announcement this week before we even really know what the boards think they can accomplish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Joel, you know, the, the kids have been out of school since March. Uh, do they return in September with a bit of trepidation or are they just anxious to get back, you know, back into a routine, back with their buddies, that kind of a thing? I think most kids are going to be quite resilient in this and uh, and the, the learning curve is going to be quick. Um, but there are kids who are going to be um, who are going to need some extra special help. And I completely agree with um, Marit and, and Liz. I mean, I'd say, you know, the three most important things that we could think about going back to school are smaller class size, smaller class size and smaller class size. Like it's it's a no brainer. Right. I, I, I mean, we've known small class sizes are effective from all kinds of teaching and learning perspectives for decades already. That's why the wealthiest people in North America send their kids to schools that have class sizes of 12 and 13 and 14. Um, Now, this is an opportunity, right? This is a real opportunity um, to do what before everyone was saying was impossible. But, you know, that's true with so many things in this pandemic. I mean, the U.S. Uh, people called for health care for everyone and they said, oh, my God, we could never find a trillion dollars. That's impossible. Now they're spending three trillion dollars, right? Whatever was impossible before um, is now possible. And this is a time to focus in on things like smaller class size that allow teachers to build the one-on-one relationships with their students that we know are so effective for education. And in this case, it happens to have the side effect of being more in line with what um, our health experts are saying um, will work this this September. Laura, what, what does the association think about smaller class sizes? Is that something the parents are more in favor of? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And one of the other things that uh, Liz brought up was uh, parents are wondering about mental health supports. Uh, and parents understand that teachers are teachers and they wonder what extra support, if any, teachers will have to deal with these issues because it's not just going to be about the curriculum. So parents are wondering about that too. And oh, we have also heard uh, the same thing that she mentioned about a teacher can be a teacher full-time in the mm-hmm. classroom or for online learning, but how how can we expect them to manage both at the same time? So parents are also looking for a lot of more clarity. And in terms, if any decisions are being made in August and any plans are approved, what about policies? Uh, like what about 
if a kid coughs, when do they get sent home? Are, are the siblings sent home? Is the entire family expected to self-quarantine? So those are the more uh, procedural questions, I guess, that parents are also having um, in the midst of all this. All right. Now, I, I've got a, a question coming in from uh, a viewer on Facebook. Do the panelists know what, so, what solution the majority of parents support, a return to school or distance learning? Which do you uh, think? I can, well, I can speak for the our largest board, actually, mm-hmm. uh, about two th- uh, uh, from our associations in the place where we're located. Our largest board did support two-thirds in favor of in-presence learning. Uh, but we also have parents that realize that for some students, remote learning actually has worked better during this time. So having the option to have that choice uh, would be something that parents would like, but in, in a situation of when it is what is best for the student. All right. Now, uh, Joel, what do you think? Do you know what, like, we know what you would support, but do you have any idea what the majority of parents would support? Well, they, I mean, I think that um, Liz and Marie have access to the, uh, some of the same um, data that I've seen. But um, anecdotally, I've, I've also, I know that, there, you know, there are different issues that different parents are facing. Parents with um, children with disabilities and, um, and learning disabilities and other disabilities have been hit especially hard with this. And they're tearing their hair out because they need the supports that um, schools can offer. There are some kids who, um, who rely on schools for food, you know. And mm-hmm. uh, so, so for a lot of parents, there's a lot of reason for kids to be back in school. But of course, parents also have um, concerns about, about health and about whether um, teachers are going to be able to um, facilitate learning in this kind of environment. You know, Liz, Joel brings up a good point. You know, the school is not just about learning. It's, you know, you know, some of the breakfast clubs, the homework clubs, the, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's, I can see how it's so crucial to get them back into that, but then they're going to be there even longer. Does that not even create even more of a problem? You know what I mean? They're going early for breakfast. They're in class all day. Then they're sticking around for a homework club and then, then they'll go home at the end of the day. Well, I think we're going to have to take a look at, at how schools are structured. Mm. Um, you know, we, we talk about returning to school, but, you know, regardless of, of what model is selected and what happens, I think everybody sort of has to readjust to a new normal, right, as, as September rolls around. And, and quite frankly, for probably for quite some time after that. Um, so it's certainly from, from a teacher's perspective, I mean, our role is to keep the students we engage with every day as safe as we possibly can. And that will probably mean that, you know, we're looking at cohorts, we're looking at smaller groups of students, hopefully, where we've got smaller stu- uh, groups of students that we can cohort. And that will probably mean that um, if, um, clubs, you know, after school, extracurricular, those things will, will not, I Mm-hmm. I cannot see how they could still occur in the same format. So I, I don't think that's going to be an immediate issue. Although, you know, Joel raises, you know, great points in that many of our students um, rely on schools for so many more services than just, um, than just what happens during the classroom, right? They rely yeah. on schools for, for that, those you know, safety net, if you like, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, um, 
you know, they, they really are the, the, the hub of a community many times. And, you know, and teachers are, are, are highly aware of that, which is why, you know, in our, in our pan-Canadian survey, you know, 89% um, of, our, of teachers across the country raised concerns because they were concerned about the health and well-being of the students they serve because they were not able to be at school because they understand that oftentimes for, for many students, school is a safe place for them. Oh yeah. And it is a safe place they may not have access to otherwise. And so, you know, that is, is first and foremost in much of the thinking of our membership as they, as they look at the students they serve and are really concerned around how do we, how do we get them back into the buildings so that we can keep them safe, but do it in a way where we're all going to be safe. Yeah, that's what we're going to need. Now, you know, uh, Maureen, I look at the, the this situation and, and, you know, we're waiting for, well, August 4th, the school boards are waiting to find out, you know, which way we're going here. Apparently, we're going to hear this week. I find it a little interesting that, you know, you've moved most of the province to stage three, but you still haven't figured out what you're going to do to send kids back to school in a month. And... And, you know, and you've got parents that are just pulling their hair out trying to figure out, you know, what's going on. You know, it, it's so upside down. I, I really think this, the whole, the government's whole approach, uh, you know, to economic recovery and, and the reopening has been really backwards. And I'm not saying that we don't want to see restaurants open or anything. I, I, mm-hmm. but, but when you talk to business owners as well, um, you, you know, the bosses are saying we need a solution to this, too. Because what happens when September hits and our employees are still at home, potentially juggling everything? And, you know, as, as Liz mentioned, you know, a lot of what we, what we think of as school is also all these other supports that exist around schools and, and, and as a community hub. And so in some cases, some parents will have access to programs outside of school that they might be able to send their kids to for additional support or childcare or make arrangements. But for a lot of families, that won't happen. And we know that, I mean, childcare is a really important part of the conversation too, because even though the government keeps claiming that 90% of uh, childcare spaces in this province are open, that's just simply not true based on everything that we're hearing from childcare centers. It's more like you know, 40, if you're lucky, and that's not even really 40 at full capacity. So, so, um, so I think we have a a really upside down approach to things. And and I do actually think it's also, you know, a gendered approach, right? It's, it's failing to really take into account um, the fact that, uh, that women have been in particular, but families have been carrying a lot of extra burden throughout this. And at some point when businesses are up and running and everything is reopening, they're going to be expected to be back at work and there won't be the same. And, and hopefully we can maintain some of the same supports. That's the other issue. You know, will we continue to have paid? Uh, you know, Joel, uh, when we just sort of following up on what Moritz saying, uh, the, the situation I, I see with, you know, going back to school, getting these kids ready for that, um, in the back there, the parents are, you know, they're the ones, you know, your, your, your kids are always, you know, looking to you for leadership. Right. But if you're the one who's kind of on the fence about something, are they going to feel that as well? Yeah. I mean, they're going to feel the uncertainty as well. You know, the, look, the pandemic is, it, the pandemic is like an x-ray, right? It, mm. it, it reveals the, 
false in our society. And I think Merritt is right to point out the gendered um, relations of what's going on. Um, and it real it reveals the inequalities and the and the problems that we have as a society. But it also reveals some really good things. I remember uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, um, I, there were tweets like, um, I'm sure all of you guys remember this. Um, there were tweets like, day two of homeschooling, we should double our teachers' salaries, right? Yeah. <laughs> People started to really understand the difficult and and uh, and important work that teachers do in a way that they may not have before, and that's I think what we really need to focus on. We need to focus on um, returning to class uh, in a way that offers the resources and the conditions that teachers need to do their work. I haven't heard anything from the government about scaling back. For example, let's cancel EQAO right away. I mean, just to start with. Teachers need the room to focus on rebuilding the relationships and the community that's been lost through so many months of, of social isolation, right? So let's scale back the focus on uh, academic achievement and let's let our teachers um, work on building a classroom community in these small groups or cohorts or online or in person, however it's going to play out, the most important thing is connections to people, right? This yeah. online learning might work for a handful of students. For most people, it's like, you know, it's like frozen pizza, right? The, the versus the real thing. I mean, it's the same ingredients, but it doesn't taste as good. Um, it just, it just doesn't work as well. And we need the, the human connections um, that go along with teaching. That's the most important thing. You know, Laura, the, uh, the school boards have to have their plan in for August 4th. Uh, and the province obviously going to this week has got to let us know which way it's going to go. What I'm wondering, at least from the association's perspective, is a month going to be enough time to get it all set to go? It would be less than a month because some of them are going back at the end of August. Uh, no, our parents are worried that it's not enough time. And one of the things is also in regards to, to child care. So, for instance, there were parents with kids perhaps in, you know, grade two or three who had not used daycares anymore that if de depending on what model is chosen, they may need now daycare mm. that is not currently available and they, they won't have enough time to, to get that. So a month seems too short to make these type of decisions and to make plans, whether it's splitting the, the household work or going back to the workforce. So no, our, our parents are worried for sure. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, more at the, the one thing I, I wonder about, and we talked about this in the podcast, is you know, rural, rural internet is, is, is abysmal in this province. And if you're going to go to online teaching, online anything, uh, there, there's going to be people left behind here. And not to mention, when, you know, if you're, if the cost of internet plus the cost of the computer and all that kind of stuff, some people who are in limited funds are not going to be able to participate. Yeah, you know, I mean, and, and it isn't just even rural areas, you know, I mean, I live in my, my ridings in downtown Toronto, and there are people in my community that don't, obviously, they could have access, but they don't have access because they can't afford it, or they don't have many areas good access. Um, and then consider as well that many families are bearing an additional cost uh, to uh, included teachers, by the way, which is an issue I don't think that's been talked about very much. But, you know, everybody has been bearing that additional cost, you know, to upgrade or whatever, even if they already have Wi-Fi. Um, but so it's definitely an equity issue there. And I think boards did a pretty amazing job in many most parts of the province of getting that technology into people's hands, the technology into people's hands, but they can't address that bigger issue. 
Uh, and, you know, I think it's also important, it really is important to acknowledge too, that what we just went through wasn't really, you know, online learning in the way that, you know, we've had it before. This was remote emergency distance learning. Mm-hmm. And, and many of the people who were delivering it, um, some may have been doing it for the first time. Some had their own responsibilities at home and were juggling all of that. So, you know, I, I expect that the government's going to try to talk a bit more about continue to try to expand the role of online learning um, and maybe even bring in some pr- more privatization around the delivery of online learning. But they've got a big issue to deal with in terms of access, um, technology and well, broadband. Yeah. Uh, Joel, a uh, quick question for you. I- I'm wondering, you know, we go back to school in September. What's it going to look like? Well, Good question, right? I mean, that's what we're we're here talking about, and we we really don't know, um, and we're waiting for these announcements. But what I'd like to see is creative thinking around it. We clearly know that we need um, teachers and students to be in smaller groups. That's going to take resources, and the resources should be freed up for that to happen. Um, we know that there's going to be a lot of repair and rebuilding necessary, and that's going to mean that. Um, you know, not everything can be done all at once, which is why I'm suggesting scaling back things like uh, EQAO to take some of the pressure off students and uh, and teachers and let them focus on the things that matter right now and what's important to both parents and, and students and teachers. Um, so we don't know what it's going to look like, but I think that we can focus on the idea that um, the relationships are primary and that we need to um, help teachers create the best conditions that they that they can for students. And that's going to take resources. Do you think going back to school in September is going to be the catalyst for a second wave? I think that um, our health authorities, actually, from what I understand, have not done a good enough job and our politicians of um, explaining what is likely to happen, which is um, what uh, what some people are calling the dance. Uh, we're going to um, ease up restrictions and people are going to start getting back to a normal life. And then we're going to see rises in the cases. Um, and then we're going to have to scale back a little. And so we have to be prepared for that kind of give and take um, of, of releasing out, waiting for the cases to go up because they will go up. Only Right now, only 1% of Canadians um, test positive for um, for COVID or or, or the antibodies, um, which means only one percent of the population has had it. Uh, until we get the vaccine, it, there's going to be ups and downs, and so we have to be prepared for um, opening up and scaling back. But one thing that was was said at the at the beginning, I think Marit said, uh, it's true that we like we have to focus on the priorities. Getting kids back to school is a priority. So. You know, we don't want to see bars opening um, before we get uh, the virus under enough control so that we can send our kids to school. So let's let's prioritize things. But it's going to be a back and forth. Yeah, that will. And apparently we will hear from the Ontario government this week. It's plans uh, for the school boards coming up this September. I want to thank you all for joining us uh, here on Unpublished TV. Laura Gonzalez is second executive vice president of the Ontario Federation of Home and School Associations. Liz Stewart is the vice president of the Canadian Teachers Federation. Moritz Stiles is the NDP MPP for Davenport and the opposition education critic. And Joel Westheimer, university research chair in democracy and education at the University of Ottawa. Well, UTV will be taking a break for next Monday, August 3rd. We will return on August 10th, and we'll have another episode of Unpublished TV. Thanks for watching.